Good morning, good morning. Please take your Bibles that you bring to church with you every Sunday. And we're going to look at uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17. Only three verses today. I was telling Dave that when I initially had my rough draft of this, I had so many pages of notes. Seriously, I could have preached on this for two hours. And I had to cut it back to 40 minutes. Uh, so there's, there's a lot that I wanted to say that I, I, I can't say uh, because of time constraints. Uh, if I lived 200 years ago, it would not have been a problem, but it is today. First uh, John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. John writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would give us understanding, Father, that uh, there are some satanic schemes out there, Lord, to uh, uh, prevent, pervert, and divert the church from hearing the Word of God, from living the Word of God, from assuming a, a task, Lord, that uh, is ungodly in nature. Uh, Father, we, we need wisdom as a church that, that, our, that our energies be, be focused primarily on you. Father, that as your word says that in all things that you are to have the preeminence. Uh, Lord, we want that. Uh, Father, we just thank you. Jesus, we thank you that you've given yourself for us that we might have life in you. Now, God, us through this message today, Father, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. John begins in verse 15 by making a, a negative statement. Uh, normally, we don't, we don't begin with making negative statements, but this begins with a negative statement. He says, do not love the world. And, and the word world in the, in the Greek is the word cosmos. You know, we get the word cosmopolitan, but cosmos. And, uh, and, and the word cosmos, in, in theologically speaking, means the ordered system of things which is separated from God and is hostile toward God. So when we talk about, when John writes about the word world in this passage, he's not talking about the world of people. He's talking about the world as an ordered system. And this ordered system is, is opposed to the things of God. So uh, that needs to be the understanding here, not world in the sense of individual people. The cosmos is under the power of Satan. And you say, well, pastor, how do you know that? Because the Bible specifically tells us that it is. And both in Ephesians 2, 2 and, and John 12, 31, and we're not going to read those scriptures for you, but you can look those up. Ephesians 2, 2, John 12, 31. That, you know, that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. The word air in the Greek is the word eron. And it means the atmosphere. So Satan's domain is the atmosphere around this world. That is where, that is where he rules. That is, that is his kingdom. That is his domain. 
And, and from there, he, he has tremendous influence over the things in this world. And that's why we had this warning in John's epistle about not loving the world nor, nor the things in the world and, you know, and so on and so forth. It is because that this is, this is the domain, this is the domain of Satan. And he uses all types of trickery and, and methods and schemes to, to, uh, to divert the church's attention away from Christ and to something else. And when, and when that happens, what happens to the church then, the, the, the church begins to implode. And, and, uh, and you'll see that, you, you wonder why, why are churches diminishing? Why, why are we losing attendance? Why is the church not focused on Christ? And, and why, why is the church more interested, it seems like, in, in recent years in programs than it is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's like that we could fix what's wrong with the church by some program. Why is the church more interested in entertaining its people? You know, I want to go to that church because, man, have you heard the singing there? Have you, have you seen the performance there? Have you seen the professionalism there? Listen, the reason you just come to church is because when you come to church, you hear the Word of God, and that Word of God points to Jesus Christ. That's why we're in church. We're here to give honor and glory to God, not to entertain the people. And that's why I say Satan is the, is the prince of the power of the Aaron, the atmosphere. And, and, and he directs much of what's happening in our world because his influences are there. He influences the mind and the will and the emotions of people who are unregenerate without Christ. Also keep in mind that Satan has his, has his demonic host attending to his desires in this world with a purpose to, to, to seduce the church into disobedience toward God and also to blind those who continue to reject the gospel. That's what he wants to do. So in order for us to have a clear understanding as to the working of Satan in attempting to, to seduce and destroy the church, I want you to look at, and you don't need to turn there, but if you want to, you can, but in Matthew chapter 4, do you remember in Matthew chapter 4, we find Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Remember that account? Jesus is led into the, spirit, uh, the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, and there he, he's fasting for 40 days. Remember that? And, and what happens during this time that he is fasting? Satan, Satan comes to him. And he, and he leads him into these three temptations. He said, well, how could God be tempted? Well, Jesus was. I want to share these with you because, folks, what you see in Jesus' temptations is what's happening in the church today. Let me share this with you. In, there are three temptations. The first one is in verses 3 and 4 of Matthew chapter 4. In verses 3 and 4, Satan says, if you're the Son of God, then turn these stones into bread. Now, Jesus has not eaten for 40 days. Turn these stones into bread. And what this does, it deals with the flesh. It deals with the flesh. It is a me-first attitude. How often do you, you ever... Do you ever not hear this on television or, or radio, or whatever? It talks about that you got to look out for number one. Who else is going to look out for you if you don't look out for you? That you, you are, you got to take care of yourself. 
You know, and, and, and we, the, the church has bought into this, this, this delusional 10 two-letter word combo that says, if it is to be, it is up to me. That is ridiculous. It's like, it's a me first. We've be, we become so narcissistic in our society today. It's all about me. You know, I'm just too good to be true, can't keep my eyes off of me. I'd be like heaven to touch. I don't want to love me so much. So he says, Jesus turned these stones into bread. And the design of Satan was to, that, that, that Jesus would adopt for himself a me first attitude. He's dealing with the flesh. You need, you need this bread. Jesus, you need to eat. You need to take care of number one. You need to take care of yourself. When you put yourself first, then who becomes secondary or tertiary? God. Put yourself first, and God becomes second or third in your life. Verses 5 and 7 in Matthew chapter 4. Satan says, if you're the son of God, then leap from the top of the, the pinnacle of the temple. And you will just kind of float down like you had a giant parachute, Right? They'll just, you'll be suspended in space there. People go, oh, look at that. This temptation deals with the world. How does it deal with the world? Because by Jesus jumping from the temple's pinnacle, he would demonstrate to those watching as to his power and miraculous abilities. He would, embra he would be embraced by the people of the world as, wow, Jesus is a superstar. Do we not love superstars today? I mean, listen, we want to wear superstar clothes and, you know, this super person, that super person. You know, no one says, I want to dress up like God. But you want to dress up like Spider-Man or Spinach Man or whatever is out there. We want to impress the world with our superpowers. Satan says, Jesus, the world will love you if you can impress them by just kind of being suspended there. The pinnacle of the temple is over 300 feet high, by the way. It's not just some little drop of two stories. From there down to the bottom of the valley, 300 feet plus. Do you remember all of, all, of, all of Jesus' opponents, all of his adversaries, what do they say to Jesus all the time? All the time, give us a sign. Show us a sign. Well, that would have been a sign, all right. He's tempted by the flesh. He's tempted to be like the world. Look at the third temptation, verses 8 through 10, Matthew chapter 4. Satan says, if you're the son of God, then bow down and worship me. He says, I'm in charge of all the nations of the world. He says, I'll, I'll, make, you, I'll make you the president of the whole world. Jesus, you don't need to wait for election day. I'll, I'll, I'll appoint you to be the head of the whole world. You know, if you rule the world every day, it'll be the first day of spring, right? You might never think this to be a temptation, that Jesus would bow down and worship the devil, but... This temptation would make Jesus to be the absolute, absolute ruler of all this world. There would be total peace in the world 
Look at the world today. Wouldn't it be wonderful to live in total peace that you can go anywhere in this world and not be frightened of anybody harming you? Wouldn't it be wonderful? Jesus would be the king. But folks, I want to tell you something. Had Jesus submitted to any of these temptations, you know what would happen? If he would have done that, if he would have put himself first, if he would have showed his, his powerful abilities, if, if he would have allowed himself to bow down and worship Satan, he can be on the rule of the world, what would have happened? The moment you and I died, we would spend eternity in hell because we would have no Redeemer. Now bear in mind that these three temptations are used in a very similar way on the saints of the church today. I say that because they deal with the world, the flesh, and the devil. The, 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 very, same, the very same schemes that Satan used in, in a similar way he uses on you and I. The world, the flesh, and the devil. John says in verse 15, do not love the world. And it is for the reason that Satan uses the world system as a means to seduce us in order to accomplish his purpose. And that purpose would be the very same. That purpose that Satan has, why Satan wants us, is the very reason, the very reason that he was cast out of heaven in the first place. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15, it is, it is, that, that passage is a, is a double prophetic passage. It deals with the king of Babylon, but it also deals with a, with a power much greater than the king of Babylon. It deals, with, it deals with Satan. Let me read this for you. In Isaiah 12, uh, 14, 12 through 15, it says, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit." Satan wants to be God. He wants to be worshipped as God, acknowledged as God, looked at as God. Satan's desire has been and still is to be as God who is worthy of all honor and glory. But it is only said of Christ, not Satan, it is only said of Christ, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord You'll find that in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Satan wants to be who God is. If Christ has, by his death and resurrection, defeated Satan, if it is true that by his death and resurrection he's defeated Satan, then why should the church have any concern at all? If Satan is defeated foe, then why should we be concerned if Satan's beaten down? Why are we concerned about it? Because even though Satan is a defeated foe, it does not, it has not, nor will it change his nature. He is who he is. The Bible says he is, the, he is a murderer and he is the father of lies. Jesus says that in John chapter 8. He is a murderer and the father of lies. It will, listen, those things will not change who Satan is. He's a deceiver. He's a destroyer. 
He's, he's like a roaring lion, the Bible says, seeking someone to devour. He wants to chew you up. Jesus says to Peter, says, Peter, Satan has asked permission to sift you as wheat. What do you think he wants to do to the church today? He wants to sift you as wheat just as he wanted to do to Peter. Jesus says in John 10, 10, that Satan seeks to steal and to kill and to destroy the church of God. So what tactics does the devil use to destroy and devour the church? The answer again is verse 15, where we read again, do not love this world. Don't, listen, don't fall in love with an unloving world. This world is under the dominion of Satan, the world as a people who are without Christ are the devil's bondservants. Every person, listen, every person who does not trust in Christ as the Lord and Savior is under control, under the influence, under the power, under the influence, under the dominion of Satan. It isn't, listen, we, we can divide this world up as much as you want to. Male, female, white, black, red, yellow, purple, blue, orange, whatever. Listen, Italian, Mexican, Jewish, German. You can mix it up as much as you want to. But in Scripture, there's only two, two kinds of people. Those who know Jesus and those who don't. Period. 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 If you do not know Christ, you are Satan's bond servant. We read in Ephesians 2.2 2, that prior, prior to your coming to Christ, when you were unregenerate, when you were lost, unsaved, listen, prior to coming to Christ, it says that we walked we walked according to the prince of the power of the air. That is true for everybody who's without Christ. You walk according to the devil. You work by his rule, by his standards. You say, well, pastor, there are so many people that do so many good things. Do you think Satan cares if you do good things? He does not care if you do good things. There are a lot of people who do a lot of great, wonderful things. You know what the difference is? You can do all the good you want to do, but all the good you can possibly do will never get you to glory. Never. You can, you can give away everything you own that will not get you to heaven. Why? Because you need, you need to put your trust in Christ and Him only for salvation. The only way you're ever going to get to heaven is through the grace of God and the faith that God extends to you in order to put your trust in Him. Period. In John chapter 17 and verse 6, we're talking about being in the world. You know, we live in this world as Christians, but we're not of this world, are we? Jesus says, I manifested thy name to the men whom thou gavest me out, out of the world. That out of all this world, seven and one half billion people, Maybe more than that now, but at least seven and a half billion people in this world. That out of that world that God the Father has given Jesus Christ his people. 
You either belong to him or you don't. You're either Christ or you're not. If you're not Christ, then you're under the dominion and the rule of Satan. He's the prince of the power of the air. And you walk according, you walk according to his standards, according to Scripture. But we still live in this world. So we know that Satan's tactic is not to get the church back. In, listen, Satan's tactic is not to get the church back into the world. That will never happen. So what does he do? It's not getting the, 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 the uh, church back into the world, but it's getting the world into the church. That's what he's doing. He's getting the world into the church. We begin to look like the world, act like, want what the world wants. Where the scripture says, come out from among them and be you separate. We want to act like the world and live like the world and look like the world. It's not what God wants. The Bible says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Folks, I'm afraid that many have fallen for this scheme, method, and tactic of Satan. We've been caught into his snare, and he's bringing the world into the church. In Romans 12, too, we read, do not be conformed to this world. The, the word conformed in the Greek has the equivalent in English as the word scheme. Don't come under the world's schemes. So the, the word scheme, the Webster's Dictionary defines scheme as a systematic plan for obtaining some object. A systematic plan for obtaining some object. So here's the question. What do you suppose Satan is wanting to obtain? What's he want to get? What does he want from us? 2 Timothy 4.10. For this is what Paul writes. For Demas. Demas was a, was a co-laborer with Paul. Demas was a follower of Jesus. It never says that he lost his salvation. But what does it say about Demas? It says, for Demas, having loved this present world, has departed me, uh, me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas has fallen in love with the world. Friend, let me ask you, have, are you falling in love with the world? Do you want what the world wants? Is the church falling in love with the world? You may be thinking, What's the world going to offer me? So we look for money, ease, comfort, convenience. So those are not bad things. You know, there's nothing wrong with money, ease, comfort, or convenience. But there's something wrong with them when they have a priority over God. Demas loved this present world. He loved all those things. He saw what the world had to offer and he fell in love with it. The devil desires for us to love an unloving world in order that the church, rather than experiencing renewal and revival, might somehow fashion itself after the pattern of the world, which is opposed to the things of God. 
You say, Pastor, why would you suppose that any real believer would fall for Satan's schemes? 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen states, for even, listen, listen very carefully. Why would we fall for Satan's schemes? Listen, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. For even Satan disguises himself as what? An angel of light. <laughs> this is perfect. This is perfect. This, this is from God because, man, I, it's just beautiful. This is absolutely right down the line what God wants for us because Satan has disguised himself as an angel of light. It, it is very evident that the devil would want us to believe that we are doing what is right and all the while we may be doing the very thing that opposes God. There is an objective in Satan's tempting the church and it is twofold and we're going to talk about this these things, uh, how, how he's deluding us. Number one, he wants to cause us to turn away from God and in so doing destroy our personal testimony. If we could, if we could fall in love with the world and look for money and ease and comfort and convenience, whatever else is out there like that, how can you say that I'm a follower of God and yet we desire the things that the world desires? Does that make sense to you? That we are desiring the very things that a person who's unregenerate, the uncircumcised of heart, if you want the very things that the uncircumcised of heart want, the very things that the world wants, but you call yourself a Christian, then there's something wrong. Jesus, he came to overcome the world, but yet we have succumbed to the world. The second thing, to cause us to fall for his methods as being from God, whom the devil desires to be. The devil wants to be like God. So by knowing what his objectives are, we can more readily identify what his plans are for achieving his goal. Let me, let me list three of them for you, and we're going to come to a close here pretty soon. Three, three things concerning Satan's plans for achieving his goal. First, he will use any means possible to prevent a person from coming to Christ. He will do whatever it takes to keep a person from coming to Christ. This, however, let me just say, because my theology won't allow me to accept that statement just like that. He may try to prevent all he wants. However, however, let me say this. This is ultimately impossible, although he's going to keep on trying. It is ultimately impossible in that the Bible is very clear that God's power to save is far greater than Satan's power to prevent salvation. But he will keep you blinded as long as he can. Second thing, Satan who cannot prevent the gospel from its accomplishing its work will use whatever possible means in, in, to attempt to pervert its message, and that he will do. We live in, a, in, in an age where the preaching of the gospel is old-fashioned. In fact, the preaching of the gospel at times and in places is absolutely forbidden. It's even, it's even coming to our borders that people should not preach the whole word of God. 
because it dehumanizes other people. Folks, every time I read the Bible, I'm bothered by it. I read it and I feel depreciated. I begin to loathe myself. Talk about self-deprecation. When I read the Bible and its standards, how high and lofty its standards are, it's because he's talking about a perfect God who sits in glory, enthroned in glory. And here I am, a worm and a wretch. Of course, I'm opposed to, in my nature, to what the gospel says, the Bible says. It offends me. But I realize that I'm a sinner. Of course I'm offended by it. And that fallen nature opposes it. But is not God's word the truth? Is it not the truth? In Galatians chapter 1, at verses 6 through 8, let me, let me show you how Satan, Satan will, 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 will pervert, will pervert. If he can't prevent, he'll pervert. In, in Galatians chapter 1, look at verses 6 through 8. Paul, writing to the churches of Galatia, says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who has called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven shall preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. The third thing that he will do, he tries to prevent, he tries to pervert, but look at number three. What Satan cannot prevent or pervert, he will attempt to divert in order that the church will not grow into full maturity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul writes, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able for you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? He wants us to be immature in our faith. He wants us to be spiritually infantile in our behavior. A diverted church, a, a church of comfort, ease, and convenience is an easy candidate and target to, full, to fall in love with an, an unloving world. And then he says in verse 16 of 1 John uh, chapter 2, he says, for all that is in the world, if God, if God is the creator of the world, if God created this world, then why shouldn't we love it? If God made it, shouldn't we love it? This would be a valid question if we were talking about a world that, was, that owed its existence to God. But he's not talking about that kind of world. 
the world that John is speaking of in this epistle is a world that is of pagan culture, which is characterized by a pagan worldview. Look, look at what our youth are being taught today. Is that a Christian worldview? What happened? They'll know we're Christians by our love. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. A new command that I give you that you love one another even as I have loved you. Paul in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, what if I can do all these wonderful things, all this power and ability, but if I don't have love, he says, I'm just making noise. Just making noise. Where, where is that society at today? Why don't we just love people for the fact that they're created in the image of God? All people created in the image of God. Isn't that what Scripture ta- tells us and teaches us? The pagan culture worldview involves the lust of the flesh, the me-first attitude, the lust of the eyes. If I see it, I covet it, I want it, I'll take it. The boastful pride of life, it's all about me. So I close with verse 17. I ask this question, do you submit to the will of God in your life, or do you desire to have and live for the things that this world offers? What seems better for you? To go with what the world offers you, or to go with what Scripture offers you? I can't make that, I can't make that choice for you, can't make that decision for you. You know what? The only one that can is the Holy Spirit working in your heart right now. If the Holy Spirit is saying to you, brother or sister, listen, you, you, you need to come to Jesus Christ and put your trust into Him. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart that you need to come to faith in Christ right now, put your faith in Christ right now, then folks, you need to do that. 